0: Good morning, everyone. I'll add my welcome to that which we added at the retreat last week in New Minas. For those of you who were not there, uh, we welcome you to this semester and to this term. And we are appreciative to Tim uh, for the hospitality of taking us in, so to speak. And if you have not seen the Divinity College recently, you should walk by it you probably can see literally right through it these days and so we would uh, ask you to continue to pray for those who are at work uh, in this major renovation it's a privilege to be able to share the Word of God with you this morning and this past summer I've spent some time in Paul's letters particularly his letter to the Corinthians first and second and I've been challenged to think about what is the message and I shared with our church in Kentville on Sunday morning. It may be because uh, you mentioned about those who retire and plan to, and some who never seem to. I'm planning to and will at the end at the end of June. And I perhaps am thinking in my own heart and mind a little sharper about what the message is. Might be, what's my message? What's your message? What's the message of the Divinity College that claims to be preparing Christians to serve? So the title this morning is, What is the Message? I'm going to read a small portion of scripture from Paul's first letter. He's already been to Corinth and he's writing to them. And he says to them in the second chapter, a few verses there, of 1 Corinthians. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him Crucified. I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Let us pray. Grant, O Lord, in the power and in the presence of your Holy Spirit, that your word may become deep in our own lives, that we might know how to live and to serve. Grant us clarity as we think together this morning. What is the message? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Joshua Searle is from the United Kingdom. He's recently written a book entitled Forming Prophets for a Post-Christian World. Forming Prophets for a Post-Christian World. He was recently asked by a magazine editor about this book and this is what he said. What does theology have to say to homeless people on the streets of our own cities who die in solitude, unknown and unpitied without anyone ever to mourn their loss. What difference does theology make to the lives of children confined to an AIDS orphanage in eastern Ukraine? How does theology speak into the plight of the starving, the refugee, the dementia patient, the cancer sufferer, or the war-traumatized child in Syria? What does theology mean to the wretched of the earth, to those without status, wealth, or power? How does theology connect with the lived experience of the poor in spirit? End of quote. Our context here at Acadia Divinity College and throughout this particular area of our world uh, can be described, our context, as a post-Christian world. In this post-Christian world, we are preparing you. You are preparing us. We are preparing one another as Christians to serve. A few weeks ago, here on this beautiful campus... Canadian Baptists of Atlantic Canada met. And on that occasion, we were challenged over and over again with the reality of the lack of growth in our Baptist churches. In fact, we would see sharp decline. Now, many of our churches are experiencing renewal, or I might say some of our churches rather than many. But there are some of our churches that are experiencing renewal, but we were reminded, and it could, not, it could have been any other Christian evangelical denomination meeting here on this campus, they would have been sharing the same thing because across North America, across Europe, we would see a sharp decline in the life of the Christian church. Well, this has left some of us perplexed. What can we do? And so the question comes, well, what's the message? both to the church and what's the message that the church has to the world. And I'm asking myself this, and I'm asking you, as we prepare to study, what is the message? I think there is help for us this morning as we look at Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth. Well, who's Paul? We know him as, we call him now, the Apostle Paul the one who had experienced the presence of the risen Christ on what we call the road to Damascus. We know that he had reached the highest ranks of Jewish religious leadership, and we know that he at one point early on in his life sought to persecute and eliminate Christians from the face of the earth. However, on that road at midday, going to Damascus, He had not only a vision, he experienced who? Jesus. The resurrected Jesus. And I've heard some people say things like, Well, I've never been like Paul. I've never had such a vision. Well, friends, you may not have had such a vision. Are you experiencing the presence of the resurrected Jesus in your life? We are not observers today of a historical faith. Yes, it is historical. But it's a living faith. We're not just an organization as a church. We are an organism because of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit who unites us together. And who did God send Paul, this amazing Jewish leader, after he was converted to Christ? Who did he send him to? The people who were non Jewish, the Gentiles. He often would go to the synagogues and speak to the Jewish leaders and try to persuade them of faith in Christ, but many times these people were not interested. And he was often turned away, and then he would go, as his calling was, to the Gentile people. And you will find in Acts chapter 18, something about his visit to Corinth. Now, I've had the privilege of visiting Corinth on a couple of occasions. It's an amazing place to go. It's about 50 miles along the Aegean coast, the Mediterranean, as you come down from Athens to Corinth. I expect he might have walked, he might have had some form of transportation, but 50 miles, and he made his way from Athens to Corinth. Corinth was much larger than Athens. Corinth was a city of materialism, a city of sensuality and sexuality, and atop a large hill known as the Acropolis of Corinth was the Temple of Aphrodite with its over 1,000 consecrated temple prostitutes. And the bottom of their sandals was written the words, follow me. That was the context that Paul engaged when he went to Corinth. So lest you think that Canada in its current state is just an awful place, And the best days for Christianity are in the past. And oh my, that Christian leaders don't get the same treatment always in the life of our communities. Wake up! See the scriptures. Paul goes into such a place, and worse than we could ever imagine, a dark and pagan city of Corinth. And he went there to share Christ. We know that he stayed for one and a half years. It was there that he met Aquila and his wife Priscilla. And we know, and I love this about the Apostle Paul. He doesn't tell us always, but he told us here. And he needed this, and some of you might need it this morning. He actually had a vision of the Lord tell him something about the city of Corinth. Now, if I asked you, what might God say about Wulfill, or Kenful, where we live, or this beautiful Annapolis Valley, or this province of Nova Scotia, or Canada, this is what Paul said, or this is what God said to Paul in a dream, in a vision. He said these words. Some of you might need to, he- he- you might need to hear these words this morning, and you might need to heed them. Are you ready? He said, Jesus said to Paul, Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. I am with you. And no one is going to attack you or harm you. And here's this beautiful line. Because I have many people in this city. I fear sometimes that we look at all the people that we say aren't Christians and they're not following the Lord and, oh my, isn't it terrible that we don't have prayer in in schools anymore and, you know, there's this and there's that and isn't it terrible, there's so many sports on Sunday and that's the reason why people aren't coming to church and if we only didn't have this and we didn't live in this culture and, you know, if we only could ring our bell like we did in the 60s and 70s and even into some of the 80s, people would just come. Well, guess what? That is not our space. But let's not focus on those things rather than the Lord would say to us in our own context, I have many people in this place. And I think if he were just to give us a poke, he'd say, be shepherds and go find them. Paul says to the Corinthians, I came to you with great pomp and circumstance, with the best philosophical, theological debates I could muster. No, that's not what he said to them. He did some of that in Athens. What did he say? I came to you in weakness. I came to you with great fear and trembling. Pastoral ministry sometimes is Sweaty palms, a pounding heart, weakness, great fear, trembling. So he writes to them and he says, I resolved while I was with you to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And he went on to say, That my words and my preaching were not just in words. They were what? With a demonstration of the Spirit's power. I want to suggest to you this morning. You will study, and some of you have been studying to great depth biblical studies. And you need to. You've got to have the foundation. You need to know church history. You need to know the history of Christ's work in his church all along. You need to understand the depth of these things. But once you understand the complexities, and you need that if you're going to be serving Christ today in this world, you need that. The Apostle Paul was well trained. He understood God's work in history. You remember he said, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He could have taught anybody anything about religion, quote unquote. But he said to them, I resolved to know only Jesus Christ. And him crucified. Sometimes in the examining council for ordination, those of you who've been through it know exactly what I mean. I've served for about a decade as the chief examiner, and people tell us things like, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I go, check. I believe he was born of a virgin. I go, check. Then I say to them sometimes, tell me, what is your favorite gospel account of Jesus dealing with people? Bring it down. What did he say to children? when other people wanted them to go away. Let them come to me. What did he say to the woman who was caught in adultery when her accusers were marking all kinds of things in the sand and planning perhaps to stone her, until one by one her accusers went away and he said, I don't condemn you either. But he did say, go and sin no more. To a religious leader like Nicodemus, what did he say? You must be born again. You have to have the experience of a rebirth in the Spirit. What did he say to those rugged fishermen down by the shore? Come, follow me. I want to encourage you to know Jesus, not just the doctrine of the humanity of Jesus and the divinity of Jesus and how these things come together, I want you to know him and what he is like and how he deals with people. I have a sense that if Jesus came to Wolfville, he'd hang out in places that we don't. Think about it. And I have a sense that if he came to Wolfville and hung out in places that we don't, that some of us would wonder what he was doing there. Just like people asked him, why are you going to that party? Why are you hanging out with those people? He was criticized by religious people, but he always knew who he was. He knew what he was about. He knew how to handle people. And he always spoke with grace, but he also spoke with truth. And to the woman at the well that he went looking for who had many husbands and she wanted to talk theology some of you people think we should worship in Jerusalem but we think we should worship on the mountain what do you think? he said by the way you've had a number of husbands and the one you're with now isn't your husband either what do you mean Jesus? he has a way of cutting through everything in your life and mine and getting to the point point. and I might say to you this morning what's his point to you today? What's he got to cut through to get to you? What would you defend about yourself that he would just say, Harry, forget all that. It's this I want to talk to you about in your life. Or that. We love him. But his presence makes us sometimes quite uncomfortable. But he said, I only want to know about Jesus. That's what Paul said. I want you to know him. Then he said about his crucifixion. Now in theology class, you'll study all about the efficacy of the cross. And you'll study different theories of the atonement. And what was really going on there. And, you know, did God really cast all his wrath on Jesus? And you'll go through all that. And you should. And you'll wrestle through all these scriptures. But the efficacy of the cross of Christ simply is through the shed blood of Christ, our sins are forgiven. We don't preach much about sin anymore. I have sin in my life. Not only my nature, but I act, I think, I do. And sometimes I leave things undone and I need the Spirit to point these out in my life. I'm not your convictor of sin. I don't think you are mine, but... I'd like you to tell me, if you see me sinning, would you ever say that to a group of people, Harry? Yes, I'm saying to you this morning. Tell me, as a sister or a brother, come and say, what are you up to in this? I'd like to hear it. Would you give other people the permission to say to you? He also told them, and this is the part that I've been wrestling with in my own life these days. He said, my speaking and my preaching to you were not just in words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. When we gather as we are here this morning, is there an expectation in your heart and mind that the Holy Spirit Is meeting us here? Is there an expectation in your heart of his work? Well, you might say, well, what could we expect? Well, that depends on your denominational perspective sometimes about what we expect from the Holy Spirit and what we sometimes will allow. But biblically, what we all agree to is it's his job to convict people of sin. Jesus said he will convince the world, he will convict the world of sin. Jesus said he will also convince or convict the world of the righteousness of Christ. He will also, and here's one that we rarely talk about anymore because we all say, well, it's good for you, or that's bad for you, or that's good. It's all up to, it's relative. Well, it isn't. There actually are some biblical standards of faith. And the word says the Holy Spirit will convict us of judgment. Hmm. In Corinth, in the middle of the town, was something called the Bema. Do you know what that is? It's called the judgment seat. And the judge would meet in the middle. You can go there. If you go to Corinth today, you can see where it was. And doesn't it ring true when you hear Paul say, we must all appear before the Bema of Christ. We must all appear, Christians, before the Bema, before the judgment seat of Christ. Someday, you and I will look Jesus in the eye as a believer and he will say, how did you use the gifts that I gave you? It's not about heaven and hell at that point. It's about how you were responsible to live your life for Christ. That's the bema of Christ. We must all appear there. When we meet together, I wonder sometimes if we watch the clock. I know we have to be out of here. We have responsibilities this afternoon. Something I would love to do, and I'm going to tell them in my home church. Somebody had the idea to put a clock at the back, it was not for the choir. (laughs) Now, we all do things decently and in order. We agree that we'll have a worship service for an hour on a Sunday morning. I understand that. But I've also been in the presence of the Lord among a people where time just got lost. We didn't just have a worship service, we had an encounter with the living Christ in our midst. And the time went away. Finally, he said, that your faith wouldn't rest on human wisdom. If you've come to the college thinking you're gonna gather a lot of scholarship from professors, and you will, but I want to say to you at the end of the day when you're through all your theological studies and it, we never get through but you think you've reached a place whatever faith you come to that's a gift from God. And it is simply as First Peter said Christ himself suffered on account of our sins once for all the righteous on behalf of the unrighteous he did this to bring you into the presence of God. Jude 3 says, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that the Lord has once for all entrusted to his people. I am excited about what God is doing in your life, what he will do in your life, and I simply this morning, as your president want to say, you and I could learn from the Apostle Paul when he says remember all the complexities, the theology, the philosophy, he knew them all. He could interact with all of them. That was the foundation from which he spoke. He said, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Will you pray with me that the the Spirit of God would be at work in your life and in my life and that we would be expecting great things from Him I think that's the message. Let's pray. Lord, we do have much to say to a world that's in pain and hurting, and many lives that are broken, loneliness, illness, sometimes a world that looks like it's gone crazy. Even in our own Canadian context, we wonder how on earth does the Christian gospel bear fruit even as it's growing all over the world and Lord we pray that fundamentally you would help us to understand who you are and to make you known and your power at work in the presence of your spirit is what we long for it seems to me Lord that Paul came to the end of himself when he said he was filled with fear and much weakness and trembling Maybe, Lord, we need to come to the end of ourselves and recognize that you alone can build your church. We might build many things that look like a church, but actually you're the only one that can build your church. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen.